How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of English Encore. I'm your host, Nick English. Thank you all for tuning in. Today, I'm doing a recap of the 49ers Chiefs Super Bowl and talking about if I think the Chiefs won it or the 49ers blew it. I'm going to give my four teams who I think have the best chance of making the final four for the NCAA tournament next month. And then finally, I'm going over some NBA and NHL trades that just happened. The NBA trade deadline has already passed. NHL is coming up. Um, only really one big NHL trading over. A lot of good NBA trades. So uh, let's hop right into it. So the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the San Francisco 49ers a few weeks ago. 31-20 to win a Super Bowl. Andy Reid finally getting the Super Bowl. He has coveted for so many years. Pretty much cementing his legacy as one of the greatest coaches of all time. Patrick Mahomes winning the MVP award for the Super Bowl. He had a really up and down game, but when it mattered most, um, he made plays for them to win. Um, but to me, I think the 49ers really blew this game. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, I thought, was awful. Two interceptions, um, both were pretty ugly. And he missed Emmanuel Sanders on potentially the game-winning touchdown as he split two safeties and Garoppolo overthrew him by about three to five yards. And that pretty much would have sealed the deal. Um, I think there would have only been about maybe a minute left, maybe a little less, for the Chiefs to try to go down and score another touchdown. Um, Just really bad execution by uh, Kyle Shanahan as well. Um, if you look at the numbers, people talk about going back to the Falcons-Patriots Super Bowl and they blew the 28-3 lead. Now they're looking at him after he blew a 20-10 lead and just getting outscored by so many points in the third and fourth quarters. Um, uh, I just thought they got away from what pretty much got them there, and I think that starts with Shanahan. I thought the 49ers defense actually didn't play terrible. They only had one or two really bad drives, but because the offense couldn't stay on the field, um, they were out there for a long time, especially in the third and fourth quarters. But as I said, they got away from what got them there. I mean, they have a versatile ground game between Coleman, Breida, and Raheem Mostert, who coming into that game was coming off a 29-carry, 220-yard, four-touchdown game versus the Packers. And the Packers defense, granted, wasn't great they're not any slouch either and doing that against any team is just unreal and against the Chiefs most certainly had 12 carries for 58 yards and one touchdown and to me that just wasn't enough he's still averaging 4.8 yards per carry with those stats so to me why they got away from that and also using Debo Samuel um, in the reverse run game which really caught the Chiefs off guard a few times early on in the game um, was kind of mind-boggling to me um, George Kittle only having four catches to me was also a big part. You had to get him um, more involved in the game plan. Same with Emmanuel Sanders. I thought they didn't go after him enough. I thought Samuel was used um, pretty well. He had nine targets. I still think they could have used him more in the reverse and run game, as I just mentioned. Um, but then you look at some of the big plays. Um, your best cornerback, Richard Sherman, who had gotten into it previously with Jarrell Revis on Twitter for not being, or Revis saying he wasn't a true man-to-man guy. Well, when the moment counted most, uh, he got absolutely torched by Sammy Watkins. Um, a nice little stutter step, inside-out move. 
cut to the outside and Mahomes hit him in stride for a big play. And then probably the play of the game, it's third and 15. You're up 20 to 10 and you allow a 40-40 yard pass to Tyreek Hill on a pretty much blown up play where Mahomes didn't have a ton of time. was getting pressured and he kind of threw a not Not that it wasn't a good throw, but definitely time for defenders to run under it if they were even near him, which they weren't. And then you're up 20 to 10 with 235 left in the third. In the very next possession, you end up picking off Patrick Mahomes. So you're pretty much, this is, you can seal the deal, put this game away, and then you have a five play drive with a punt. And then from there, the Chiefs just went on and scored um, 21 unanswered points to win the Super Bowl. So to me, I personally feel like the 49ers blew this game more than the Chiefs won it. Not to take anything away from the Chiefs because I do really love Andy Reid. I'm super happy um, that he got a Super Bowl. I'm happy that Patrick Mahomes got a Super Bowl. Um, Easily the league's most talented player. Um, It's really nice to see some of the veteran guys um, that are respected around the league, whether it's Tyron Matthew, Frank Clark, uh, Terrell Suggs winning another Super Bowl, and even a guy like LaShawn McCoy who didn't uh, wasn't active. He's really worked hard throughout his NFL career, so for him to get one was really nice as well. Um, so tip or tip your cats to them. But uh, Mike, Sh- excuse me, Kyle Shanahan definitely has some more work to do with the 49ers. Definitely don't doubt they'll be back there eventually. I don't know about next year, but um, in the next two, three years or so, I think they'll definitely be back. And um, Kansas City, definitely a team that could be back next year. But teams like Baltimore, Buffalo, um, Houston, even the Patriots, depending on if Brady leaves or not, are going to be um, coming for them. But as I mentioned before, I think the 49ers pretty much uh, blew that game. So now looking at the NCAA tournament, really it's probably my favorite time of the year. Um, that selection Sunday, seeing where teams are playing, um, is really cool to see. Um, I've gone to two NCAA tournaments, going to a third one this year down in Charlotte. So I'm really excited for that. Um, gotten to see a lot of good tournament games so far, and I'm hoping I get to see some more. Uh, I was fortunate enough, the first time I ever saw an NCAA tournament, we ended up seeing um, Shabazz Napier and UConn, who ended up going on to win the whole thing that year. So that was really cool. Then the last time they were uh, in Buffalo, I got to see Wisconsin with uh, Bronson Koenig and Nigel Hayes upset the number one seed Villanova um, in the second round. So that was also really cool to see. Um, Tourneys always, they call it March Madness for a reason. You know, you never know who's going to win, who's going to lose when. Um, It's very rare that you see a lot of the number one seeds meet in the final four. Um, I actually... I didn't get a chance to look it up, but um, I couldn't tell you the last time all four number one seeds or if it ever happened, um, them all making it there. But the four teams that I personally think have the best chance to make the final four are Dayton, Seton Hall, San Diego State, and my sleeper team is Illinois. Um, Obviously, it all depends on where they're put in the bracket because for all I know, um, Dayton and Illinois or something could play in like the third round or something. Um, so it's kind of a guess for bracketology. Um, comes out with their final one on Selection Sunday. But um, the reason I have these four teams, so Dayton, they're projected number two seed. They're currently 22-2, and two, um, top 10 in the country. 
Um, they just give teams a lot of matchup problems. They have good sized guards. Um, they kind of spread the floor well. And they have good tournament experience. They've been to the tournament um, a lot over the past few years. Uh, good experience knocking out some of the better teams. I remember um, my first tournament, Dayton knocked out uh, Syracuse. And Syracuse was um, one of the bigger teams going into the tournament, especially in hostile environment, even in Buffalo, just because there's so many Syracuse fans. Um, so I really think that they have a really good shot. Uh, Illinois is kind of my sleeper. They're projected number seven seed. They're currently 16 and eight on the year. Um, they're very solid defensively. The thing with Illinois is they're a very streaky team. That's why in the NCAA tournament where it's a one-and-done type deal, I think a team like Illinois can really flourish if they get hot. Um, they're very high-flying, get up and down the floor quick. And they have no player under six foot two, so they're very big, and that could give a lot of other teams problem. Um, I really like their coach, and uh, I just think they're a very solid team overall. And I think they could really surprise some people, especially being at that number seven spot, or if they go up to maybe a five, or maybe as low as like an eight. Um, those five to eight seeds are always super dangerous because there's always a team that probably could be a little higher ranked but because of maybe one loss um they get bumped down by the committee then i have san diego state who is projected number one seed they're currently the last undefeated team in college basketball they're 25 and 0 right now um i just think they're the most collective team honestly i think they have honestly the best chance to win um they just play really well together uh they're net a lot of the games that I've watched, they just they don't cringe in the moment. Even if they get down, um, they come right back at you. Um, another team that's really well coached. Uh, they've had some great players in the program over the year. They're kind of always overlooked. Kawhi Leonard went there. Um, and I just think that in the tournament, especially in the one-and-done scenario, um, San Diego State is a team that, um, like I said, because they're not really – recognized nationally as much even though they're undefeated and a top five seed in the NCAA right now um, they're not always the flashy team that's going to be on TV like a Duke um, Syracuse Kansas Villanova teams like that um, but they'll definitely come up on you and shock you and the thing I like about San Diego State is they're ranked top 10 um, in defensive efficiency as well so very good defenders and the in-state tournament when you have a lot of running gut teams very important to defend and then finally Seton Hall um they're projected number three seed they're 18 and six right now um and the reason I really like Seton Hall is for two reasons um one I personally think they have the best player in the country in Miles Powell um they're coming off a tough loss last night to Creighton in a game that Really, Powell's struggle all game. I believe he finished 4 of 13 from the field. It's really been one of his two um, struggle games all year. Um, and a lot of their other losses came when he wasn't available because of a concussion. Um, and the thing with Seton Hall that I think separates them compared to a lot of other teams in the tournament is they have a super deep bench. Um, guys that come in, uh, play huge minutes. They have a lot of guys that could easily start for them. But because of how good their starting lineup is with Powell, Quincy McKnight, Mamu, um, they have a lot of versatility. And in the NCAA tournament, 
when you have some of your guys, top guys, like a Powell or McKnight not being able to maybe get it going early on. Those guys that can come in off the bench um, and give you that support uh, is really huge. Some of the bench players are really what separate a lot of the teams in the NCAA tournament from being a first and second round team or being a final four team. Um, it's really going to be interesting to watch. But overall, I think Dayton, Seton Hall, San Diego State, and Illinois have the best chance to make the final four. And if I had to predict a team of who I think can win it, I honestly think San Diego State has a really good chance this year of winning it. Um, definitely interested to see how they play. And I'm going to be super excited to go down to Charlotte and watch um, whatever teams I get to see. And I'll probably do a podcast on that experience when I come back in about a month from now. Uh, but now moving on to the NBA and the NHL trade deadline. So NBA, we had a lot of blockbuster trades. I'm just going to go through them really quickly and which ones I think were good and bad. So Minnesota was able to land D'Angelo Russell. Um, in that trade, they also required Jacob Evans and Omari Spellman from the Warriors. In exchange, the Warriors received Andrew Wiggins in a first and second round pick in 2021. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers were able to acquire Pistons big man Andre Drummond in exchange for John Henson, Brandon Knight, and a second-round pick. Um, in a three-team trade, the Clippers acquired Marcus Morris and Isaiah Thomas, who was eventually waived after the trade. Um, the Knicks received Mo Harkless, a first-round pick in 2020 from the Clippers, um, a 2021 protected swap pick with the Clippers, and then a 2021 second round pick and the Wizards got Jerome Robinson from the Clippers and then the Heat in another three team trade acquired Andre Iguodala Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill the Grizzlies received Justice Winslow, Gorgie Jang and Dion Waiters who was waived after the trade as well and the Timberwolves received James Johnson from the Heat and then the last big trade that really went down was with the Rockets Nuggets and Hawks the Rockets acquired Jordan Bell, Robert Covington, and a second-round pick in 2024. The Nuggets acquired Shabazz Napier, Cameron Bates-Diop, Noah Vonley, Gerald Green, who was eventually waived, and a 2020 first-round pick from the Rockets. And the Hawks received big man Clint Capella and Nene. Nene was waived after the trade was done. Um, so a lot of huge NBA trades that I just mentioned. Um, I think the one that made the most sense for both teams was definitely the Warriors Timberwolves trade just because Andrew Wiggins I think was kind of being pushed out of Minnesota and I think Steve Kerr really said it perfectly with Wiggins going to Golden State he doesn't need to be that number one star they already have Steph Curry they have Klay Thompson they have Draymond Green um, they have some up-and-coming young players he doesn't have to be the guy. Um, he kind of pretty much fills in the spot of almost being like the Harrison Barnes role when they won their first title um, a while back um, together with that core group of guys. And you could tell that him and Carl uh, Anthony Towns kind of had some friction. And then Jimmy Butler ultimately wanted out because he didn't think Andrew Wiggins really wanted it enough. Andrew Wiggins has always been questioned for his heart and wanting the money over really the game of basketball. But I think the Warriors fit actually does him a lot of good. And I think D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns are really going to flourish together. Like I said, I think it's a great trade for both sides. 
Um, it was clear that D'Angelo Russell was really not going to be on the Warriors, um, even though they said they wanted to try it out. We all kind of knew that it was just going to be a trade bait um, for them to use, and it was just lucky that they even got Russell in the Durant move because Durant could have just left in free agency and you could have gotten nothing for him. Um, so overall, I think that was the best trade. Um, the most confusing trade to me was the Cavs. Um, not from the Cavs standpoint, I thought the Cavs stole Andre Drummond. Um, I know he's going to be an up-and-coming free agent, but for John Henson, Brandon Knight, and a second-round pick, good lord. Every single day of the week, 365 days a year, making that trade. I just can't believe the Pistons gave away pretty much the center of their franchise for next to nothing. Um, so good move by the Cavs. Um, I think the Heat made a really nice move. I know they had to give up Justice Winslow, a really young player. But being able to get out the Dion Waiters and James Johnson contracts was huge. And then you added two huge defensive role players in Jay Crowder and Andre Iguodala. Both give you playoff and championship pedigree. Solomon Hill probably won't play that much, but he's also another NBA veteran, good locker room guy. Um, they extended Iguodala, and it still gives them flexibility for the big 2021 um, summer free agency, which they're targeting because that's going to have a huge free agency draft class, including Giannis Atetokounmpo. Um, so they're going to try to lure guys like that down to South Beach, which is pretty easy choice considering how um, coveted of a franchise they are. Um, Pat Riley does a really nice job. South Beach doesn't have taxes, so you can make more money on your contract. Um, so that was a really nice trade. And then the Hawks, I thought, made out the best with that uh, Rockets-Nuggets trade. I think the Nuggets were kind of just the middle team that was able to kind of help um, move some cap space around. And because of that, they were able to get a first-round pick and some nice young players like Noah Vonley out of it. Um, but the Hawks getting Clint Capella to pair with Trey Young and John Collins, I think, is going to be big for them um, in the next few up-and-coming years. I think they'll be able to be a playoff team next year. But the Rockets, I do like Robert Covington a lot. He gives them good length and a good perimeter defender. But the small ball lineup, I'm just not sure it's going to work as well as it has so far come playoff time. Russell Westbrook and James Harden have both shown that in the playoffs they're not as good as they usually are in the regular season. And eventually when you face some of these bigger teams like the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Montrezl Harrell, or the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, um, not having a big guy down there to really be a post presence is going to be really susceptible for rebounding and just post play. Um, as I mentioned with Davis, Dwight Howard, um, just any of the big guys, even if they ended up matching up with a team like Portland, Nurkic back healthy and having Hassan Whiteside, it could cause a lot of problems. Um, and then the NHL uh, trade deadline still coming up, but we had our first really big trade the other day. The Penguins acquired Jason Zucker from the Minnesota Wild in exchange for Alex Galchenyuk, uh, prospect Kalen Addison, and a first-round pick in 2020 or 2021. Um, NHL trades are kind of weird in that way, and usually the team will select which year you get the first-round pick. It's really the only trade that's um, happened um, the other day. Um, Toronto, about a week and a half ago, acquired a goaltender. But other than that, nothing huge. But I definitely still think there's going to be some moves coming up. 
Um, especially with teams like Columbus. They just lost Seth Jones and Cam Atkinson, one for the year and one for a significant amount of time. Um, even a team like Carolina who lost Dougie Hamilton for the year. Who knows what the Blues now because of the whole um, Jay Bowmeister um, unfortunate incident in the bench against the Penguins the other night. Um, it always comes down to last-minute NHL. You see some really funky trades, so interesting to see what's going to be coming up with that. But, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Um, next week, I'm going to take my best shot at guessing the Bills' schedule. I'm going to try to do week by week uh, who I think their opponent's going to be. What uh, if it's going to be a Thursday night, Monday night, Sunday night, regular Sunday game? Um, then I'm going to actually predict um, the games themselves, what I think the Bills' record's going to be um, for the year next year. And then we're going to be talking about some Big Four basketball, Canisius, Niagara, UB, and St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure's really got it going lately. I'm really excited to talk about uh, their play, or NCAA tournament chances as well. But yeah. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in. Appreciate all the support. And I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. And thanks for listening. Have a good one, everyone.